good. What is God saying to me today about children? We don't, we don't hear many messages in church about children. Um, you know, if we go to a seminar or if we, you know, we're in, we're in a, uh, maybe um, uh, a Bible study on children or possibly we talk about children, um, you know, at a camp and so forth. But in church, children, uh, it's not, a, it's not a, a common message that we talk about. So um, I would just love to cherish this moment. Um, I am, for those of you who don't know me, um, I am now 61 years of age. I've been married for over 33 years. The Lord gave Natasha and myself three children, three boys. Um, they are, two of them are married. I have, uh, we have uh, three grandchildren now. Um, all of my boys love Jesus. They, they serve the Lord. Uh, they, God has saved them, of which I'm very grateful to uh, many people who have been involved, uh, Sunday school teachers and churches and youth leaders and coaches and friends and grandparents. And so I'm extremely grateful. Um, I do not consider myself an expert on children, even though I've delivered hundreds of them and taken care of thousands of them as a physician. Um, but the Lord has definitely given me a deep love for kids. Out of all the things I've done as a man, as a human on earth, I think the greatest joy I've had is being a father. It's being a father. It's raising my boys. And today I can truly say to you that my three sons are, other than my wife, Natasha, they are my three best friends. If you can have your children grow up and say to their friends, my best friend is my father or my best friend is my mother, I'd say you're doing reasonably well as a parent. So let's see what the Word of God wants to tell us today about, about children. So I've titled the message today, The Role of Parents and Church in Raising Godly Children. So two portions, the role of parents in raising children and the role of the church in raising children. So I want us to, to see it from both, both perspectives. Now, what do we know about children in general? Well, <laughs> most of us can say lots of things. Uh, children are noisy. Children are messy. Children are impatient. Children can be dirty, uh, children can be demanding, children uh, want their way, they can be extremely angry, children can be sometimes very forthright. Um, however, what else can we say about children? God loves them. God loves them. God loves them dearly. God sent Jesus, his son, to die for the sins of children. Not just adults, but to die for the sins of every human being, including children. Does God want children to be saved? Absolutely. As a church, we know that. God wants all children to be saved. He wants your children and my children to be saved. What I want to underline, though, is this. Children are no less important than adults. Children are no less important in God's kingdom as adults. Now, why does God care about children so much? Well, the simple answer is the same reason he cares for us as adults. Why does he care about children so much? Because he cares about them the same way he cares about us. Children are also made in the image of God. Not just adults. Men are, women are, boys and girls. We're all made in the image of God. As a matter of fact, if we look at our lives, we were children for much of our lives as well. Of course, some of you here listening today are still children. Children are vulnerable 
And God loves vulnerable people. Children are unable to care for themselves, and God wants to care for those who can't care for themselves. Children need help. Children need protection. And God cares for those people who need that. Why does God care about children? Because children are sinners, and they need salvation as well. And only the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross is sufficient to save our children. Salvation is the same for men, women, boys, and girls. It's only through Jesus Christ, only through faith in Christ, only because of the grace of God. Now, if we look at the line of authority that God has placed in our homes, the line of authority is this. The one who is in authority in each of our Christian homes needs to be Christ. He's the leading authority in our home. Underneath Christ then comes the husband, the father, then the mother, and then the children. That's the line of authority that God has given for every Christian home. And so I want to say that the main responsibility to raise children in a home falls not on the church, but falls on the parents. So the father is supposed to be the spiritual leader in the home, The mother takes a very important role as well, no less than the father, and together the mother and father are given the responsibility of raising children, raising godly children. So the main responsibility falls on the parents. We also know that the church is also responsible, but still the majority of the the responsibility we need to underline falls on us, on moms and dads, on fathers and mothers. So here's a question. Why does God give us children? Why does God give us children? Well, we could go on for a long time, but I just want to point out a couple of things. One, children are a blessing to every family. And in Psalm 127.3, we read, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. They're a blessing from the Lord. By the way, some families would love to have children and can't. Very painful sometimes when I hear that some people accuse them that that must be God's punishment. Since children are a blessing, if you don't have children as a blessing, that means God is not blessing you. No, God can bless a family in many, many ways. But as a physician, I've had the opportunity of meeting many families who would pay a million dollars to have a child if they could, but can't. And all the medical science still cannot help them. So children truly are a blessing. Secondly, children are given to us as members of our church, our home church. Remember, our homes are small churches. Every one of our homes is a church. There's a priest, the father, and there's members of that church. And the members of the church include the wife, the spouse, and also the children. So actually, you know, without children, we don't have much of a church (laughs) in our homes. But with children, and the more we have, the bigger the church at home. Why else? Well, God gives us children to develop in each of us the character of Christ. You know, the biggest thing that changed my character in my life as a young person, first of all, was getting married. As I got married, I realized all of my shortcomings, all of my deficiencies. Well, maybe not all of them, but many of them. I'm still learning about them. But when children came along, God revealed in me even more. 
And so as I began raising these boys with my wife, Natasha, I realized that God was developing within me the character of Christ. So let's have a look at some of the responsibilities that a father and a mother have in raising our children. Well, the first one is very obvious. Feed them, clothe them, provide a place to, to, for them to live, to protect them. Those are just normal things that we all have. Now, those are the same responsibilities that a non-Christian home has as a Christian home. They're the same. But let's not neglect that. That is still a very vital, important part of raising our children. And God places that responsibility on moms and dads. Number two, to teach them God's will, to teach them God's word, to teach them God's commandments. So if we open to Deuteronomy chapter 6, very famous scripture that is used to remind us about raising our children. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down. And when you rise, in other words, all day long, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as, a f as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So the Scripture clearly teaches us that we as parents need to teach our children the commandments of God, the ways of God, the gospel. So how do we do that on a practical way? I want today's message to be more practical than theoretical. I want you to be able to go home today at the end of the message and say, here's three things I'm going to do as a mother. Here's three things I'm going to do as a father to make sure that I'm raising my children in a godly way. Number one, many of these are obvious, and many of these, of course, we're doing. And that's take them to church regularly. Now, for some of us, that seems very obvious. Take them to church. The key here is regularly. I know some families that will take their children to church on Easter and Christmas, and they'll say they take them to church. But the Bible wants us to teach them regularly. So bring your children to church regularly. I once went to a church where the parents would bring the children, drop them off in Sunday school, go home. They themselves wouldn't even stay to church. They just drop the children off to Sunday school and go home. And then at the end of Sunday school, they picked the church children up and went home with the children. No, you bring children to church with you. Let them see how important church is in your life so that they will, by example, cherish that in their own. Number two, take them to Sunday school and youth meetings regularly. Well, that sounds pretty easy, but you know what? It's a long way to drive. Wow, I've got to go to church on Sunday, and then I've got to take the youth on Friday, and then they have choir practice on Wednesday, and then I've got to take them to soccer practice on Tuesday, then they have music on Monday. So why don't we just leave out the youth meeting? They can't miss soccer practice, but it's okay if they miss out on the youth meeting or Sunday school. No. Be sure they're there learning the Word of God. Number three, give them opportunities to attend Christian camps, 
conferences and seminars. I know in my life, youth camps tremendously changed my life. I know many, many young people and children who can say today that the time of their conversion was during a camp. It's when they sat there for two, three, four, five days, searching through the scriptures, where they felt the love of youth leaders and and Sunday school leaders around a campfire at the lake, wherever it might be. But cherish those moments. So when our church announces we have a children's camp, we have a youth picnic, we have a youth event, we have a seminar for youth, cherish that. Get your name on that list. It may be the time that your children dedicate their lives to Jesus. These things take time. These things take effort. These things cost money. You're only going to do it as a parent if the salvation of your children is your priority. If it's way down on the list of importance in your life, then you're not going to spend the time or the money or the effort. What sometimes bothers me as a pastor is that parents will sometimes say to me, oh, yes, the salvation of my children is vital. It's priority. But when we look at the lives of the family, we realize that it's actually not. Music lessons are more important. Soccer practice is more important. School is more important. Education is a higher level than it is the salvation of their children. It's one thing to say that my children's Christian walk and salvation is important, but if we place everything else above it, the children don't see it as very important. One thing I need us all as adults to remember Your children are a lot smarter than what you think they are. Let me say that again. Your children are a lot smarter than what you think they are. They can see through you, and they can see what your priorities are. Next, how do we parents do this on a practical level is our question. Make use of teachable moments. What does that mean? Make use of teachable moments. Those of you who've listened to me preach on evangelism realize that there's a point there about green flags. A green flag is a moment where the Holy Spirit gives you the opportunity to say, hey, this is the time for you to share the gospel. Well, God provides teachable moments or green flags in the life of parents and children. So, for example... You may have a pet at home, a dog, a cat, and that pet dies. Well, it's one thing to say, okay, we have to now take care of that pet and we have to buy another pet, you know, console the child. But you can use that moment in your child's life to teach them something about God and relate the death of that pet to the gospel. The pain that a child feels in losing a pet in some ways, was the pain that God felt when he lost his son. I know, we, you know you can't compare the two, but you can use this as teachable moments. When your child is playing soccer and the game is lost, you don't just come up to him and say, well, Daniel, you know what? You guys did the best you did. 
You did the best you can. You know what? Next week it'll be better. And go home. Well, use that moment as a teachable moment. Teach them what it means to win, to lose. Teach them about the gospel. Relate that loss into what goes on in Scripture, in what God is wanting to say, so that your children can see that every aspect of their lives is somehow related to God. Otherwise, they see God as Sunday and the rest of the week as our life. We need to incorporate the teachings of Christ with everything that takes place in the life of our children. Number three, what are the responsibilities of father and mother? Teach them the gospel, and in doing so, lead them to Christ. Let me say that again. Teach them the gospel, and in doing so, lead them to Christ. The responsibility of leading your children to salvation should not be the church's. It should be yours as mothers and fathers. The church is there to equip you as a mother and father to show you how to do it. But dads, you're the priest in your home. You're the spiritual leader in your house. Dads and moms, lead your children to salvation. Now, children can only be saved if they hear the gospel, understand the gospel, are given faith by God because of the hearing of the word, and then come to the Lord in repentance and total surrender. It's one thing to teach Bible stories. It's another thing to have them read good Christian books. But if your children never hear a clear message of the gospel, how will they ever repent? The only way your children can be saved is by hearing and understanding the gospel. There is no other story in the Bible that will save them other than the gospel. Now, for many of you moms and dads, it might be difficult for you to say, well, I just don't know how to teach my children. That's not my gifting. Well, there's a little booklet at the back of our church today for those who are here. And for those who maybe might miss out or are watching online, you can tell us and we'll get you one. And this is a book called The Cross. And all it is is it's a pamphlet on the gospel, what the gospel is. And it's with pictures. And so you can sit down with your children, with young children, and go through the gospel using this booklet. And in doing so, they will clearly hear the gospel. And it may be that after reading this, you can say to them, do you believe? Do you want to give your life to Jesus? So parents, if you need some of this material, it's there at the back at the church. Feel free to take one, share it with your children, and share it with other children as well. Let's move on. I want to move on with a question. Do your children know how you were saved? Like if I was to line up your children, sons and daughters, and say to them, okay, I want you to tell me the testimony of your mother and father. Tell me how they were saved. Would they say, I don't know? Or would they say, I can't remember? Or would they say, I clearly know how my mother and father were saved? Let me share their testimony. Of 
I heard my father's testimony when my father was over 70 years of age. When fathers and mothers, have you shared your personal testimony with your children in such a way that they would remember it, understand it, and that it would be a powerful tool to lead your children to salvation as well? In terms of practical application, one of the most important things that my children always underline with me, like if I was to get my three sons and say, sons, what are some important things that you think mom and dad did well in raising you into becoming godly men? One of the things they always underline is the one-on-one time spent with them. What does that mean? That means that every week, I would spend time with one son only. We would go somewhere. It was always the choice of my son where we would go. We would go for breakfast, usually. They would choose where, and they would choose what to talk about. It wasn't my agenda. It was theirs. What do you want to talk about today? But no matter what they talked about, we always related it to God. In the end, it was always about Jesus. It was always about faith. It was always about God. But that one-on-one time was special. Now, some of you who have five, six, seven children might say, well, that's impossible. (laughs) How do I find time to have one-on-one with each one of them? Well, let me tell you, the more children you have, the more important it is. Because if you have a crowd of 30 people in a class and you're the teacher, every child feels like one of 30. But when you call out one person from that class and say, come on here, Let me spend some time with you. Let me show you how to do this well. That's special. And when it's one-on-one, you can share the gospel. You can share your testimony. You can be vulnerable. You can tell them about your life, about your faults, about your inconsistencies, about the way you fell and the way God saved you and brought you back. One-on-one time was very special. Something I would encourage moms and dads to do. Number four. What are the responsibilities of parents? Well, discipline them. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, Paul says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Common verse. I've heard it many times. So it's talking about bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, of the Lord, Not of your upbringing, not the way you think, but of the Lord. And it also says that not to provoke your children to anger. Well, how does a parent, how does a father, how does a mother avoid provoking children to anger? Well, the best thing that helped me and my children in in disciplining was to ask always the question, how would I want God to discipline me? I wanted the same standard. I'm going to discipline my sons the same way I want God to discipline me. Do I want God to show me grace and mercy? Yeah. Well, I'm going to show it to my sons too. Do I want God to be patient with me when I make fault? Yes. That's the way I'm going to be with my sons, with my children. Am I going to be angry? Do I want God to be angry at me? No. I want him to be gentle and kind and say, 
my son Peter, I know I've told you 10 times, you're still not listening. Let me give you another chance. And to respond the same way to my sons. So fathers and mothers, when you're thinking, how do I discipline my children without provoking them to anger? Ask yourself how would you would want God to discipline you. Number two, be sure that the punishment fits the crime. Be sure the punishment fits the crime. If you punish your children the same way for everything wrong they do, then they have no idea what is important and what isn't. Think of the world. I mean, if you murder someone, you go to jail for life. But if you drive too fast on the street, you just get a little ticket, you pay a little fine. The punishment needs to fit the crime. What I sometimes see in in Christian families is the kids are punished the same way. It doesn't matter what they did. In my family, what we often did, there were certain things that they got punished severely for. And that was things like lying, cheating. When they did things like that, and of course, punishment came only after many, many warnings. You know, God doesn't punish us every time we make error. He's patient with us. But there comes a point in time where God says, okay, enough is enough, and he does punish us. Why? Because he loves us. I use the word punishment. The Bible uses the word discipline. I think discipline is a better word because discipline gives us some benefit. It's not just I'm punishing you because you deserve it. I'm disciplining you because I want something better from you. Another thing that worked very well in my family, and I only share these things, not that I expect you to do them all, but just because I, this is what worked with me and my wife. We always had our children involve themselves in deciding on the punishment. Sounds strange. Like, okay, you said that you were supposed to come home from school at a certain time. This is the third time now you've lied and you've not come home. What do you think the punishment for this should be? And it's amazing, my children always chose punishment that was way worse than what I would have given them. (laughs) You know, I would say, well, this is how I would discipline you, but they chose much more significant discipline. But what ended up happening is that they knew what they were going to get. And therefore, it never provoked them to anger. Remember, the commandment here is not to provoke our children to anger. If you punish or discipline your children and that provokes anger in them, have you obeyed the commandments of the Lord? Are you doing what God wants? Do not provoke them to anger. Of course not. You yourself, in doing what you think is right, are disobeying what Scripture says. So in my family, we found that by involving the children, and they would know that if you did this, this was the punishment. If you did this, this was the discipline. But they themselves made the decision as to what that punishment was. I never saw anger in my children. I never saw anger. As a matter of fact, I would have forgiven them, and they themselves said, no, Dad, we deserve this one. Children are amazing. Children want things to be fair. They want to see fairness. And when they see it's fair, they're not provoked to anger. Next, whenever you discipline your children, make sure that you keep emphasizing to your children that you love them. 
You are not disciplining them because you hate them, but because you love them. You love them. As a grandparent right now, I, <laughs> I have the privilege of having grandchildren. So I watch my son and daughter-in-law discipline their children. And I just, you know, every time they discipline, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm ready to cry. I'm thinking, oh, well, no, you know, hit me instead of them or punish me instead of them, you know. Send me to the corner instead of them, you know. But what I do see is at the end, they hug their children, they kiss them. They say, you know, we love you very much. We love you very much. So let your children know that you love them after each discipline. Next, whenever you're disciplining children, always, always make sure that they see that you yourself are the example. In other words, if you have said something and hurt your children, if you have wronged your children, be sure you ask of them forgiveness. I was talking to my son yesterday about this issue, and he said, Dad, one of the things that really influenced me was the way you and Mom always asked of each other forgiveness. Whenever you wronged each other, you would ask each other forgiveness. You would never hide that fact. You would let us see that. And whenever you felt that we wronged, uh, parents wronged the children, you always came to us and said, sons, forgive us. We wronged you. Be the example. Do not expect something from your children that you yourself are not prepared to do. They need to see you as the prime example. Number five, the responsibility of parents. Pray for your children and pray with them regularly. Pray, pray, pray. Praying with your children should be sort of like a dialogue. Okay, guys, we're in the car. Okay, okay, let's head off. Okay, let's bow and pray. Dear Lord, take care of us as we drive. You get there. Okay, guys, come on out. Hey, let, before we start this, let's have a word of prayer. It just becomes part of your life. Let your children see that God is involved in everything you do and everything you say. Prayer is not just something on Sunday or just before a meal. It's everywhere. It should permeate your life. One of the things my children do not know is that my wife and I fasted regularly as we prayed for our children. We set aside one day a month simply to pray for our children. Fast and pray. I would encourage you dads, mums, you serious about the salvation of your children? Consider fasting Maybe once a year, maybe once a week, whatever the Lord lays on your heart. But fasting and praying for your children is a powerful tool in leading your children to salvation. Number six, love your children unconditionally. What does that mean? Loving your children unconditionally means loving them without any conditions. You're not worried about any conditions. You're going to love them regardless and you tell your children, son, I will love you no matter what. Even if you reject me, I will love you. Even if you leave home, I will love you. Even if you fail at school, I will love you. Even if you don't succeed, I will love you. I will love you as Christ loves me. I will love you unconditionally. You know, there's a wonderful book out there called The Five Love Languages. 
I would encourage parents, if you've never read it, to find out how your children experience love. What kind of love language do they have? I won't speak on this much, simply to say there's a wonderful book out there, The Five Love Languages. If you're interested, come and talk to me. But it will help you understand the love language of your child and to incorporate how to love your children in a very special way according to their needs. Number seven. Be a godly example of God's love between husband and wife. So my children will say to me, Dad, one of the things that really influenced us is the way you loved each other. Dads, the greatest gift you can give to your children is to love your wife. Mothers, the greatest gift you can give to your children is to love your husbands. Love your husband, love your wife. When your children see that, they will never forget it the rest of their lives. It will be a testimony of God's love to them as well. Number eight, start very young. Don't start teaching these principles when your children are 15. Now, if you've never heard of it, if you've just come to know the Lord recently and your children are 15, start now. But for those of us who know Jesus already and you are giving birth to young children, start these principles of loving them, teaching them the word, praying with them, fasting for them now. Don't wait until they can speak. I would say that one-year-old, two-year-old, you already can begin these principles So let's move on now. Those were the responsibilities of mothers and fathers in raising children. And I tried to give you some practical points. Now let's look at some of the responsibilities of the church, us as a church in raising children. Now I want to share with you some of these experiences. I realize our church is not perfect in carrying them out. So these would be maybe dreams and hopes and desires I would have for our church. Some of these things we're doing well, some of these things we need to improve on. Well, first of all, I'd like to say that many people will say that children are the church of the future. I believe that children are part of the present church. We're not raising children to be the church of the future. We need to be sure that we understand that they are part of the church now. So don't just think about what will happen 20 years from now with our kids. Think about how we can serve them now. Children are very special to God. As a matter of fact, children are more special to God than they are to us. I know how much I love my sons. I love my grandchildren. But when I read the scripture, I realize that God loves them more than me. Even though they're my children, he loves them even more. And so we need to have the same attitude toward all children, all children, and I underline all children, not just our own, all children in the church, because all children in the church are part of the family of God. We cannot just care for my three kids. You do what you want. These are mine. No, all these children in our church are ours. How are we going to deal with them? How are we going to treat them? How are we going to raise them? Let's look at Luke chapter 18, verse 15 to 17. This is the scripture that we usually use when we bring children to church and we pray for them and we bless them. So children, wherever you are, if you're listening to this message, I want you to listen carefully. 
I want you to listen to the words of Jesus so that you understand just how much Jesus loves you. Listen carefully. Now, they were bringing, parents, families were bringing even infants, infants, little ones, to, to Jesus that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. In other words, they said, oh, stop it. These are kids. You're wasting God's time. You're wasting Jesus' time. What are you bringing these little infants? What are they good for? No. What did he say? Jesus called to them saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So let's look quickly at the responsibilities that we have as a church. Now let's put aside the fact that I'm a mom and a dad. Let's now put ourselves in the position I'm a member of a church, a local church, where there are children. Maybe for some of you it's a surprise to think that, what do you mean, Peter? You mean even though they're not my kids, I have some responsibility for these children in the church? Well, we'll see that that's exactly what the Bible teaches. Number one, I believe that leaders in any church need to place children's and youth ministry as a high priority. You know, it's not adult ministries, um, you know, men's ministries, women's ministries, and in somewhere down the bottom, children's ministries. Children's ministry, youth ministry needs to be way up at the top in terms of ministry in a church. They are part of our church. We have to care for them as Christ loves them. We need to love them. As leaders, we need to train up teachers. We need to equip leaders. We need to carefully choose the curriculum that we have for Sunday school and for youth. Whenever we plan church activities, we can't just say, well, oh, well, the kids can just play. No, what are we going to do with the children? What are the activities for the children? How do we raise the children in the church? I believe that we need to involve our children in the service. We need to have them singing when we sing. We need to have them playing instruments when we play. We need them praying when we pray. We need them involved in every part of the aspect of church because they are members as well. They're part of our body of Christ. We need to invite children to pray. We need to invite children to share their prayer requests. And we need to lead children too to salvation. I said before that the primary role of leading children to salvation is still the parents. But that doesn't always happen. So the church needs to also give opportunity. Children, if you want to dedicate your life to Jesus, come forward. Let's pray. Let's commit your life to Jesus. Let's surrender fully to his lordship. Number two, leaders need to do these things, as I've mentioned, but the rest of the church needs to support youth and children's ministry. Have you thought of being a teacher for youth, a sponsor, we call it, or a supporter, or a mentor? Have you thought of volunteering in children's ministry? Remember, Sunday school is not babysitting services. It's raising up godly girls and boys to serve Jesus. We need to support the church budget when it comes to children's ministry. And also, don't forget the children's nursery. You know, I'm not sure how old these infants were when they brought them to Jesus. But I suspect that when they say infants, they were probably very tiny. They couldn't walk, so they're probably less than one, is, is my guess. You know, I, I, we don't know. 
But what I'm saying here is that nursery is also important. Nursery is a place where you can serve, where you can show love. You might say, well, these children don't understand anything. Okay, let me put it this way. Let's say we had 10 children in our church that were severely mentally disabled and couldn't understand anything. And they were 10 years old, 15 years old. Would it still be important for us to raise them and teach them and love them and care for them? I think we would all say yes. So just because little infants don't understand much, it doesn't mean we can't share the love of God with them. It's an important part of who we are as a church. Number three, we need to pray for our children regularly. Well, we've already talked about praying for the children, but what I'm emphasizing in here is pray for other children. Of course you pray for your own children. That's probably, I would say that for most Christians, the biggest time they spend in prayer is praying for their children. They pray more for their children than for their spouse. They pray more for their children than missionaries or something else. But what about the other children in the church? Do you ever pray for other children? Number four, when you come to church, speak to children. Don't just walk by them. Walk by the children to get to an adult because the children basically don't know what they're doing anyway. No. Stop with a child. Learn their name. Ask them questions. Pray with them. Give them gifts. When COVID is over, hug them and kiss them. By the way, other than your own children... Do you know the names of any other children in this church? I think we need to take time. Because knowing the name of a child is something special. God does not simply say, that person who lives in Vancouver, he knows my name. Because I'm his child. In this family, in this church, the family of God, they're our children. Let's try to learn their names. Let's help them to understand that they are part of our family, that they are special. Number five, grandparents need to play a vital role in the lives of their own grandchildren. So if you're a grandparent, there's not time just to simply retire and move to Tennessee or Hawaii or Florida. You need to start thinking about how you can be involved in raising godly grandchildren. That's important. I'm just delighted when my dad, who's 90, doesn't live in this city, will phone me. Peter, how are my grandsons? What are they doing? What can I pray for? Do they need any help from me? He asks about the grandsons before he even asks about me. <laughs> and I'm delighted. I'm delighted. Because my kids need more help than I do at this time. My dad shows how much he loves them by calling them, talking with them, sending them money, giving them gifts, sharing his testimony with them, sharing his life with them. Grandparents, you need to play a vital role in raising your grandchildren. 
Number six, invite children into your life, into your home, and into social events. Make your home a place of comfort, of joy, of love for other children. You know, in our house, we specifically asked ourselves, okay, we have three boys. What can we do in our home to be sure that children will visit us? Well, we we built a fire pit because kids love fires. So if you live in a place where you're allowed to have a fire pit, a fire pit. And the young people would come around and they'd sit around this fire pit and they'd sing and pray and share stories. It was wonderful. At one point, as the children were growing older, we thought, oh, what do we do now? How do we, how do we bring our boys together? So we bought a boat. I knew nothing about boats. Never had a boat. Didn't know how to buy one, operate one. But in asking our sons, they said, Dad, what about a boat? Then we can invite other people to share our boat. Then we can go boating together. We can go fishing together. And we did it. Costs money. Not all of us can afford a boat. But I'm just using these as an example to say that you have to think about other children, not just your own. And yes, when they come to our house, they break things and, you know, the paint is dented and the walls and it's a mess. And of course, you have to feed children. So my wife is constantly there feeding these kids. But that's what it means to love them. Would we do it all over again? Absolutely. Open your home and your life to children, to young people. Number seven, love children and love youth. And when I say love, I mean truly love them. You know, we we sometimes are so impatient. You know, we come to church and the children are loud and we, we just, we can't stand it. We want God to be patient with us, but we're not willing to be patient with children. We want God to be gentle with us, but we don't want to be gentle with the children. Like we have a different standard for the kids in the church compared to what we have for ourselves. Have the same standard with children in the church. Love them, love them, love them the way you want God to love you. Number eight, many children in our church and many churches suffer from mental health problems. Did you know that one quarter of children suffer from anxiety disorders? Do you know that almost a quarter will go through depression? Do you know that many suffer from attention deficit disorder? Many are suffering from addictions to everything from video games to pornography. Children have mental health issues. When you come to church, do you realize that at least a quarter of our children, at least and more, have mental health issues? Or is that news? If I was to point every one of those in our church that had a problem, would your attitude to them be different today? Would you come to them in a way and say, oh my, I had no idea. I had no idea. But I want to love you even in a more special way now. Number nine, get involved in serving in the church and have your children join you. Join you. Serve and say to your son, come on, you're going to help me. 
Come on, you're going to be part of this ministry. Come on, I want you to help me. So when you serve in the church, draw your children in. They may cause you to take longer to finish the job, but have them involved with you. And in conclusion, as we finish today, I want to bring one example. Prior to coming to this church or a couple of churches ago, (laughs) we... um, where I was pastoring, we had a couple who were my patients, and during the process of birth and delivery, the Christian parents gave birth to a Down syndrome boy. Now, Down syndrome means that the children have a genetic abnormality. The mother did nothing wrong. She didn't take drugs or smoke or anything. It's a genetic abnormality that occurred at the point of sperm meeting egg and and Down syndrome. The older a woman gets, the more chance Down syndrome occurs. So if a woman is over 40, her chance of having a Down syndrome baby is about 1 in 10. If you're 45, it's about 1 in 4. In other words, it's really, really high the older you get. This was a couple that had a child with Down syndrome. Now, this was a Russian couple who came from the former Soviet Union. And, of course, I understood a bit that children with mental illness, children with disabilities in the former Soviet Union are treated not like regular kids. They put them in, you know, orphanages. They, you know, abort them if they can, of course. That, that's, they'll do that before they even get to birth if possible. But when they are born, they look at these deformed children and you know, non-Christian families, you know, they just take them away. They, they, they don't even stay in the same home in many cases. And so I knew that we had a challenge because I knew that we had this boy with Down syndrome and what are we going to do as a church? That boy changed the life of our church. We started to see that God gave him as a gift to our church. He was a gift. We saw him as a blessing to our church, not as a curse. We saw that this boy, he was just, he loved everybody. There wasn't an ounce of anger or badness in him. He was so sweet. And the entire church gathered around him and loved him and treated him as one of us. That boy continues to grow. Down syndrome is for life. He's not going to live to lady or 90. They don't live that long. His mind is about two or three years of age. He'll never get to the point where he'll truly understand the gospel message even. Do you know how much God loves him? Do we realize that Jesus came to die on the cross for him? Do we realize that when God gives someone like that into the family of God, into a church, he wants all of us to share that responsibility, to love that child, to care for that child? And so I ask you, church, what is our attitude toward children in this church? Are we going to see children as Jesus sees them? Special? Are we going to care for other children and not just our own? Are we going to take up the responsibility as a church in serving them, in loving them, in caring for them? I think if we want to please our Lord and Savior, that's what we need to do. 
The next time you see a rowdy, dirty, snotty kid running around making noise, smile, thank the Lord, bless the child, learn his or her name, hug them, encourage them, pray with them, and bless the mother and father who are raising them as well as we continue to pray for one another and care for one another as a, as a church. Let us stand now for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the special gift of children. Thank you that Jesus loved children, and he even used them as an example that we need to be like children if we are going to enter into the kingdom of God. Father, I, I pray for forgiveness for myself, that if there is ever an attitude to children that is not in keeping with your will, please forgive me, Lord. Help me to love small children, big children, youth that, that obeys and youth that disobeys, children that are clean, children that are dirty, children that suffer mental illness and children that suffer physical illness. Help me to see them as part of the body of Christ. Help me to love them as Jesus loves them and will continue to love them. Father, we pray that as a church, we would seriously take the work of raising children in this church to know Jesus Christ personally, that we would do that seriously as a church. Waste no effort, no expense to be sure that our children are taught the biblical ways to follow Christ to lead them to salvation. Give wisdom to every mother, every father, every grandfather, every grandmother, Lord, every one of us. And for those among us who do not have children, Father, I pray that they would fall in love with the children of this church, that these children would be their children. Oh, Lord, bless us as a church with many, many more children. And may we raise them for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated.